0: So my name is Sarah Haskett and I'm chairing this event on behalf of the Good Mental Health Cooperative. And we're delighted to be hosting this event to introduce to you our new project, uh, Solent Connections. And we've invited a couple of speakers to share information with you about the issues facing people looking after um, loved ones because of illness, disability, or emotional distress. And also information about a range of support services available. So now, before I introduce our speakers, I'd like to share with you a few words about the Good Mental Health Cooperative and our project, Solent Connections. The Good Mental Health Cooperative is an established social enterprise based in Portsmouth. We're a collaborative network of individuals, groups, enterprises, developing initiative um, and innovative approaches that promote good mental health. Our vision is to contribute to a society which values mental and emotional health just as we do our physical health. Here are some of the key reasons why we've set up our new support initiative, Solent Connections. The project's backed by Solent NHS Trust for the next year. And as a virtual project, we can be flexible about geographical boundaries. But our main focus is on Portsmouth in the southeast of Hampshire, meaning Haven't, Fairham, Gospot, uh, which is where our main links are with other agencies and our community resources are at its strongest. So nationally, it's thought that 4.5 million people, um, million additional people have been taking on Uh, the caring for an older or disabled or seriously ill relatives or friends um, since COVID-19 pandemic started. That's a big number. Um, Many others who were already looking after somebody else found that their outside support that they had previously disappeared suddenly um, a year ago when the first lockdown started. So. What do we mean by unpaid carer? An unpaid carer is anyone, including children and adults, who look after a family member, partner or friend who needs help because of their illness, frailty, disability, a mental health problem or an addiction and cannot cope without their support. And who are these unpaid carers? Well, we'd have to say that the vast majority are women, not all, of course. But if we look at social and economic expectations in families and households, it is often women who are expected and often feel more responsible themselves for the care and support of a loved one. Most likely they wouldn't even recognize themselves as a carer. If you're looking after a husband with cancer or a mother with Alzheimer's or a grown up son with disabilities, a friend who can't leave the house because of her panic attacks, then that's just what you do. You don't call yourself anything. Here are the four features of our Solent Connections project. You can join our online support forum with information, resource links and a community chat function You can also access our befriending and signposting via Zoom and telephone. And we plan to set up a weekly peer support group in the next couple of months. We're also able to offer a limited number of one-to-one in-depth sessions with an experienced mental health practitioner. Here are our contact details. Um, and we really look forward to hearing from you. So let me now introduce our first speaker, Claudine Weeks from Healthwatch Hampshire. As the communication and engagement lead, Claudine is passionate about sharing information in ways that people will find interesting and accessible. Um, Claudine will talk about the research carried out last summer by Healthwatch Hampshire into the views of informal carers about their experiences during lockdown and the kind of support they're looking for. So thank thank you, Claudine, let me hand over to you.
1: Thanks, Sarah. Healthwatch Hampshire is sort of the champion or patient champion, I guess, if you like, for um, patients across Hampshire. So we're here to make sure everyone who uses health and social care services across Hampshire um, has a voice and has a say in in that care and those services. Um, There's also Healthwatch Portsmouth, who I've seen are on the call. Hi, Charlotte. Um, So Healthwatch Portsmouth cover Portsmouth, Hampshire covers um, everywhere apart from Portsmouth and Southampton. So just to, just to clarify that, but we have the same role of, of listening to patients and Healthwatch Portsmouth also carried out very similar research um, to us as well. And they have a, a report which picked up very similar issues for carers. Um, so if we move forward to the next slide. So just for background so we started back or back in May 2020 which seems a long time ago now um, we worked with um, actually with Portsmouth and Isle of Wight and Southampton Health Watchers to do a general Covid survey looking at how people were accessing health and social care services Um, and in that some carers said um, a few issues that they were having and There were only a few who replied to that survey, but the issues they raised were quite serious. So we decided we wanted to look into that in a bit more detail. Um, Next slide, please. Um, So We've already just talked about who unpaid carers are. So one of the big things I think I agree with Sarah is that people don't realise they're carers. They don't necessarily think of themselves as carers, which then means they don't know the support they're entitled to and they don't know the information they can access. So which came up in the survey. Uh, So next slide. Uh, So we decided we wanted to look at that in more detail about carers and what was happening. So we got in touch with several carer organizations across Hampshire and we spoke to them initially and said, what do you think? Do you think this is an issue? Should we go out and ask questions and what kind of questions should we ask? So we worked actually with the carer groups to create our survey in the first place to make sure we were asking the right questions. And we asked three main things. One, just tell us your experience of being a carer during this time. What was helpful and good? And then what would you like to see in the future? So we wanted to know you know, what it was like at the moment and then what could be done to make things better going forward. And in total, we had almost 200 replies from adult carers using email, phone, online survey. And we also worked directly with um, 10 carer, young carer groups to get their views, which were quite different as well. So we had quite a good response to the survey across the board. Next slide, please. So some of the, I'm just going to go quickly through some of the key themes that came out in the survey. I've also got some slides in here with sound of carers actually telling their own stories. So hopefully they'll work and then you can hear what they had to say. Um, so some of the key challenges were unable to get a break, obviously, because a lot of the services closed temporarily during lockdown. Um, A lot of people saw an increase in the number of hours they're having to spend caring because they didn't have that support anymore. Um, Things like a school closure and having children at home when trying to then care for elderly relatives at the same time. um, And problems accessing services that they just couldn't get through to. So those were quite common themes throughout the survey. So
2: I'm not sure if there's sound on that one. Maybe. yeah. A sense of abandonment was felt as we felt our way on a day-by-day basis, pooling resources with other parents in the same situation through social media and networking. Not once did we receive a phone call from a social worker inquiring about how our family was being affected or if we needed any help. A sense of abandonment was felt...
1: (laughs) Next one, please. Yeah, these... um The the audio is from two carers who were caring for grown up um, disabled children, basically. So they were in their twenties, but they were still living at home and um, sort of telling their stories. So just sprinkled throughout the presentation. Um, So some of the other challenges people were facing. So a bigger one came out, which was lack of recognition. So that came down to perhaps having to wait at the GP for an appointment when they had to leave their person at home and they weren't recognized that actually they can't wait around for hours to pick up a prescription or whatever it was they needed to do because they needed to get home. Um, And part, some of that was that they hadn't actually told their GP they were a carer. So there was kind of a a mishmash of things there. Um, And yeah, there were quite a few sort of different issues that came up um, that were affecting carers. So things like not being able to get deliveries because all the slots were taken um, and also finding it very difficult to explain to their person, perhaps who has dementia or learning difficulties or other issues, why all their services stopped and why they couldn't leave the house and why people weren't coming to see them anymore. And that was very stressful and very kind of emotional for a lot of the carers we spoke to, that the, the person they were caring for just didn't understand what was happening. And that could then affect their behavior as well and their kind of emotional state and caused all sorts of issues for both carer and the person being cared for. Um, and another one was that, yeah, they just didn't know where to turn for help, which was which was quite sad. Um, to next one, please.
3: That's backwards.
2: Sense of abandonment was
4: felt as
1: we felt our way. So some of the key themes that came out of the survey with the impact on family life, mental health, employment and financial pressures, because some people suddenly became carers overnight. They'd just been helping out a little bit here and there, but then that person had to shield and needed kind of full-time support which then put a challenge on the person who maybe before had been going out to work. Um, so there were a lot of things that, that came up in the survey that perhaps people weren't aware of before. I think there's sound on that one.
3: He really struggled to understand why his life could become one of being locked inside 24 seven. Suddenly he was not seeing loved ones, not going to school or having his daily therapies. And this led to my son to deteriorate mentally and physically. I would see him retreating to his playroom and sitting, putting his face in his hands and gently crying. He kept saying sorry to me over and over again. And it broke my heart that he believed that the reason he was not able to go to school was because he'd done something wrong. He really struggled to... I think that's the end. (laughs) I think that's so the, the pressure that. that cares are under is, is immense, immense. I mean, I, I can just describe it as it was like I felt like I got to a point where I felt like I was being submerged in water. And as I got to a, a point where I couldn't breathe anymore, suddenly I was allowed to come up and I'd get a gasp of air and then I would literally start again. But I was fighting. I was actually fighting for my son. And this was what a lot of people don't even realise you're doing. I, I couldn't understand why I would be fighting in a situation where it was already a stressful situation as uh, to the pressure that carers are under
2: as parents we were left to care on a daily basis from morning to night with very little help and no income as self-employed work was not possible i think that's the end of that so short on that one as parents we were left to care
1: yeah, so there's a quite powerful stories coming from from a couple, just a couple of carers that I spoke to personally. Um, the issues that came through with young carers were slightly different. So obviously, they they were then home from school and having to try and do schoolwork at home and their caring responsibilities on top, not seeing their friends, but also witnessing the pressure on their parents, um, changing family relationships and things like that. Um, Yeah, so they couldn't get breaks, they couldn't go out, and they were seeing all of the impact that was having on their family. Um, So the next one, I think the next one's just a couple of quotes from some young carers. Uh, Next one. So when it came to help, there were quite a few positives. Um, Keeping connected with friends and family. So things like Zoom calls and online um, events were really valuable and really valued by carers because it just gave them somewhere to go and somewhere to talk to. Facebook groups that were set up, I think became quite popular. Um, help with getting essentials like food and medication, sometimes from voluntary groups or from the pharmacy and the supermarket. Some of those were praised quite highly. Community schemes as well that helped people um, get prescriptions delivered and things like that were were helpful. So there were some really good positive things that came out of it through through the new technology actually. Next one. Things that carers asked for to be better in the future was obviously more access to services that had closed down and perhaps setting them up in a way that could be socially distanced and safe rather than closing them. Um, being recognised as a carer by GPs, which was, is something that we've been working on actually with a few carers groups locally to take that forward. Um, more support um, and being aware of what services there are, knowing where to turn when things happen. Um, That was a big one. And again, that's something we've looked at taking forward with the new project. Next one. So that that was just a couple of things that they said directly. Next one. So we come up um, from the survey, we produced a report, which is all on our website, and we produced a few recommendations from that because of what people said. If I just jump ahead, I can talk about the projects that we've done as a result. So so the first thing we did was um, access to information was a big issue. Carers thinking there's lots of information out there, but it was all in different places and they didn't really know where to go. So we've created a new carer zone on our website and it just directs people to other places so like the hampshire county council website connect support website carers together all the local groups so we've done like a road map so if people are looking for finance or support groups they're all very easy to spot and go straight through and then we've done a directory of all the kind of groups across hampshire that can help um, so we created that and that is now live we also created it with carer groups we got their feedback and asked them what should be included and and which links to go to and things like that Um, carers assessments was an interesting one so I think over half the people we interviewed didn't know what a carers assessment was they'd never heard of it and they didn't know they were entitled to it and that it could lead to lots of help and support for them so we are um, running a project now to find out how carers assessments how easy it is to find information about carers assessments right and um, we're just sort of testing the websites on the count for the council and then we're going to kind of do a survey back to the council to talk about how easy the information was to find or not and if there's any improvements needed or if it's just a case of raising awareness for those as well. Um, I've just launched actually last week a project, um, the video project with GP. So we've done an interview with the GP talking about why you need to tell your GP if you're a carer and all the help they can give you. And also with the carer talking about how helpful his GP is so looking at it from both sides because that was one of the things a lot of carers said their GPs were helpful when they knew they were a carer but a lot of the carers hadn't told their GP about the caring responsibilities which again I think comes back to the um, thing we said at the beginning people don't see themselves as carers they're just looking after their mum or their partner or whatever it might be but actually GP can give you a lot of support and make flexible allowances if they know you've you're caring for someone at home so um, we've just launched a campaign on social media and the website using the videos to get people to tell talk to your GP about being a carer. Um, and we're also setting up, and again, we've just actually just launched today, an online carers form for East Hampshire. Um, East Hampshire District Council approached us, having seen our report and wanted to do something in their area um, for carers, particularly as part of their wellbeing strategy. So we've just launched that project for East Hampshire today as well. So we were really keen that the, the research, the survey didn't just end there. We wanted to take things forward and, and do more projects and help keep that support going. And I'm sure there'll be more to come um, going forward as well.
0: So now I'd like to introduce Caroline Halworth, um, who is from the Hive Portsmouth. Um, and as a carer herself, Caroline recognises the issues many, face, many of us face when looking after and feeling responsible for a family member, partner or friend. Even if you wouldn't call yourself a carer. In her current role, Caroline helps to support a wider range of charities and community groups based in Portsmouth. She has previously worked for the Portsmouth Carer Centre Um, particularly with young people uh, looking after someone else experiencing mental ill health Um, so I'd like to um, introduce Caroline and pass over to her thank you so much for joining us
5: thank you Sarah and can can everyone hear me yes um, so, yeah, my name is Caroline Howarth, and I'm a daughter, but also a carer within that role, um, and work for the Hive Portsmouth. And I'll talk a little bit later about that. Um, but I'll give you a bit of context about my own situation. Uh, my father was diagnosed with vascular dementia about 10, 12 years ago. And um, obviously, what comes with that is some quite challenging, um, obviously, it's a challenging illness. Um, and sadly, uh, my dad was living out of the area. And he was living with his wife. My stepmom was caring for him, but sadly, she became unwell herself and um, unfortunately died of breast cancer. So it was then the sort of responsibility of my sister and I to then look after my father. Um, so, in terms of assessing his needs, um, it was appropriate that dad moved to Portsmouth to be close to me. To me um, and he was moved into a residential home in the city. Again, a lot of assessments around that, just making sure all needs were being met and actually that he, you know, I could be, provide that good quality support as a daughter to go and see him on a regular basis. Um, And when he first moved in, I was like working full time and seeing him every evening and every day and weekends, trying to kind of manage some of the guilt you feel about that situation. But Actually, that is not sustainable in any way, shape or form. Um, But over the time, obviously, you know, you kind of manage it in a way that works for you as a family and and you as a daughter. Um, And obviously, my sister was coming down from London to, to also see my father. Um, and, and through that period of time offered a lot of support to him as well as him being in a residential home but also the, the challenges of deprivation of liberty the continuing health care assessments which you know never seemed to get any funding um challenging obviously i was a deputy to my father's um um kind of not state but obviously his affairs um so you know that was kind of a lot of uh, my time was managing that as well as you know seeing my dad and, and being that social connection to him and offering that time to go out and be a family and obviously um you know see his own grandson uh, and and just kind of make sure that the quality of life that he had was as good as it possibly could be and also those interactions with other residents and being part of that home environment but f- forward march 20, tw- 2020 We are uh, the 15th of March was the last time I got to see him, obviously in the care homes, the lockdown came and then family members were said, no, no more visiting. That's it. As we all saw the news evolve, it was fairly worrying times. Um, And I remember specifically the following Saturday. I received an email from the care home to say that they had had their first case of COVID in the care home. And that actually made it incredibly real to me that actually COVID was in Portsmouth and actually was in the care home. And and this situation was now becoming very serious because actually you've got X amount of vulnerable people living in in a very close confinement. And, you know, you've got obviously staff Um, And, you know, also in terms of not being able to see your father, my dad and and offer him that reassurance and say things were going to be okay, But, you know, that was, um, you know, always a concern for me and a challenge. Um, But obviously, you know, the home were were, I think it was challenging and you could see the news. Everyone saw the news at that time in terms of obviously the, the impact on care homes. And, you know, we saw the figures coming through. Um, and that, you know, for me was hard because actually you didn't really know what was going on. But as time progressed, obviously we were getting communications from the care home to say, you know, they've got the, the PPE and, um, you know, central government government was sending those guidances down to, to you know, leaders, managers uh, and things were being put in place. But that was quite a difficult time in the sort of March, April um, period. So, but during that time, the home managed to sort out their Skype access which was great, Um, and was able to do Skype calls with my dad on a couple of occasions. I'm not sure um, doing Skype calls with someone with advanced dementia is that easy, but I got to uh, see his face and he got to hear my voice. But what became apparent was obviously my dad was ended up from from March. He was mobilising into a wheelchair, Um, but as time went on, things were deteriorating quite rapidly for him because of that lack of um, me going and visiting my sister that stimulation that keeping um you know that that just you know keeping eyes on people isn't it and um but that that obviously changed the situation so as time went on obviously we still, still weren't allowed to visit but we were we getting informed that dad was deteriorating quite rapidly um and then we got the call at the end of July to say, actually, dad was now actually at a stage where he was no longer able to swallow. And this deterioration was happening rapidly. And, um, and sadly, we were getting the call to say that, you know, we were on now the pathway to um, uh, the end of life pathway. And the next day we were allowed to actually go and visit. So from the 15th of March, this is now the 1st of August. Um, I'm now allowed to go and see my father, but this is obviously a very difficult time because, you know, this is end of life pathway. Um, So my sister and I have to go and we're all gowned up and you're you're wearing your face masks and your aprons and your gloves and your visor. Um, and, And to go into a very difficult situation where you've not seen the person you love since March and now you're about to say probably goodbye to them um so not an easy time and obviously COVID has, you know the whole impact of not being able to hug touch and be with people prior to their you know um end of life has very been challenging for people across the country so for me you know we obviously got to spend you know 15 minutes with my father not ideal not anyone would want that would they um but you know it was those um moments and you know I did take my mask off and I did hold my dad's hand those are the things that we were told not to do but Quite frankly, you know, this is this is, you know, we're we're in a very weird situation through COVID. Um, and then the following evening, um, the morning, oh yeah, so the following day or the early morning, we got the call to say dad has passed peacefully, peacefully in his sleep. Um, dad did not die of COVID, it was dementia. But I do believe that obviously the way dementia and, and the, the restrictions put on people in care homes has certainly accelerated. And, and and people's decline in being has certainly been, I believe, and that was the case for my father, definitely. You know, back in March, he was sat in a wheelchair. Obviously he had got, you know, quite severe dementia, but I think the lack of being stimulation and being in his room and um, family members not being able to visit has definitely contributed to that um, earlier, well not earlier, but you know, a, a death which was much uh, sooner than one would have thought. Um, but within that, you know, the whole COVID thing has, has been very clinical. Um, and, and obviously we worked, dad, dad was there for eight years of his life and part of my, you know, my life have been visiting there. Um, and also in terms of that, you know, we had to go and collect his stuff. And obviously he couldn't say goodbye to any of the staff. Because actually, you know, you're not allowed in the property anymore in the building. And um, he just sort of handed a box of items, which was from his room. And it's kind of like, you want to say goodbye and thank you to all those staff who have worked with him and supported him. But, you know, unfortunately, COVID, that very clear clinicalness was not something that was able to happen. Um, so, yeah, so that <laughs> it's not at all doom and gloom. But, you know, dementia is a, is a really hard one for people. And it's been a long old journey. But COVID, I believe, you know, and that kind of lack of social contact has definitely not been easy. And, and that very clinicalness in terms of, and I totally recognize the staff for following all the protocols and they've been amazing. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we are all human beings at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah. So in terms of that, that's that's also been quite difficult. But throughout that process, I've also been caring for my mum also she's unfortunately got cancer too so within this time I've had like dual, dual roles working full-time I've got an eight-year-old it's been a little bit challenging at times Um, but my my manager and my um colleagues have been amazing and I've obviously been able to work flexibly around the situations that I've been in so um, my mum has had numerous hospital uh, trips to the QA they've been amazing Um, But I've spent a lot of time in QA car park uh, waiting around, so I can't go into those appointments with her. Uh, Yeah, I know the car park well, (laughs) and that's been quite interesting. Um, Sadly, she had had various admissions to QA and um, and throughout the last year and this year. And, um, you know, on one occasion she was informed and obviously no visitors, really difficult on one occasion she was informed that actually the cancer spread and um you know she's in hospital and she we can't be there to hold her hand hug her you know all those really kind of things we would all want to do because actually we're at covid lockdown and there's no way we can go visit that's you know for a lot of people I know across the country that has been incredibly hard um and also the whole thing about the bubble I'm I'm the main bubble person and um you know, I've got a sister in London, she hasn't been able to come down until recently. Well she'll be able to come down this weekend, Thank god God. Um but you know I'm the main bubble. So it's you know, and obviously, you know, when you're having chemo and radiotherapy, you've got to be super careful. So it's managing that as well as um, you know, having uh eight year old homeschooling and bouncing around plus working. So it's so yeah, so it's been it's been challenging. Um but also, you know, I recognise as carers, you have to take that time for yourself. That limit, there's only certain limitations, and for me, you know, it has reached points in the last 18 months. I'm like, geez, I can't really take much more. Um, but actually, what I've done is you know, spoken to people, you know, using those different resources that are out, are out there, you know, walk, go walk in, clear your head, um, and actually recognize that actually, you know, take that time for yourself and, and do something which is important for your well-being um, so as I talk on to that so I work for the Hive Portsmouth and we provide lots well within my role I support lots of different charities in the city um, and part of that is around signposting to different organizations across Portsmouth so I um I'll just put a little slide up now if I could share my screen one moment
0: While you're sorting that out, I'd just like to say thank you so much for, for sharing that really touching um, personal story um, really illustrates the, the difficulties that people like yourself are going through during this time. Thank
5: you, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah. And I don't underestimate, you know, across the country, you know, I'm, I've am i worked at the Carer Centre. I'm passionate about carers and, and the role we all play within that. And, you know, like you talked about earlier, none of us really see ourselves as carers and it's just something that, that we do. Um, but I do believe that, you know, they are under... Um, under thought of at times and um you know I'm really passionate about carers and, and making sure people do look after themselves and have access to services that can enhance their lives and improve the, the lives of the people that they care for because you know it's not easy um so so in terms of the Hive Portsmouth we do have a, a directory of services on our website which I'll take you to hopefully it'll work um and then I can just kind of oh yeah that ain't gonna work Right, let's have a little look. Um, so we take you back one moment. I've got it open up here. So can you oh let me share that screen. Oh can you see can you see that one? No, can you see the hive directory? Nothing's happening yet. Nothing's okay. happening yet, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not
6: that one. Right. Um can you see that one? Hive
5: directory? But- Something's trying to happen. Yes. That's awesome. It. Lovely. Okay. The link doesn't work in my presentation, but anyway. Um, so the Hive Portsmouth has a uh, website. And uh, if, if you just go and it's Google HivePortsmouth.org. Um, and we've got Hive directory on there. Um, and there are lots of different organisations which are registered or not even registered. They're, they're on there. Um, so you, you just go through the search engine and say, what am I looking for? So if we said um, support for carers and you just press support for carers and then for the search and then it will create a list of different organizations out there uh, supporting carers so but but what i would say is in terms of um, information on those services obviously what i would go and and double check what the offer is currently because obviously with covid that may be changing just in terms of that if it's no longer zoom or if it's um, more one-to-one organizations so like obviously Big one where I used to work Portsmouth Carer Centre provides significant support in the city for signposting again the carer's assessment can be a uh, part of that process so where a, an assessment worker would look at your whole caring role and then signpost to different organisations um, and within the carer's centre as well they've got obviously direct links to organisations like adult social care um, OTs um, and um, secondary mental health services and that kind of thing so you know, it's a, it's a link in the city um, that that people should go to. Again, organisations like Rebound, um, a carer support group for those who are supporting someone um, addiction or alcohol issues. Uh, Reminds is a solar mind service in the city, which are supporting people with dementia. Again, Society Gent St James. Again, those affected by drug and alcohol. But um, I'll go back to the slides. One moment. um can see, see that one now okay yep um yeah so like like i've talked about there so on, on again on the hive if you were to support for groups um and bereavement support we've been working quite closely with um the rowans as well um and there's quite a extensive um list of bereavement support in the city as well Talked about the Portsmouth care Centre, but yeah, down in Orchard Road, and then they're doing, um, I believe, uh, appointment-based support and lots of signposting. They've also got a great cookery, uh, carer's respite, which I think is happening down at the um, community allotments, which is great. Um, and so other organisations in the city, such as Talking Change, um, and obviously Rowlands, as we talked about there, have got some great support for people who are caring for somebody with a life-limiting illness, um and they've got the uh living well project once again i think that's um all f- on zoom at the moment um but you know with restrictions easing we hope um hopefully we can do a bit more face-to-face um again you know in a caring role as we know your situation might change in terms of um finances or your you know employment so organizations such as citizens advice portsmouth or advice portsmouth from the u trust are able to provide that um kind of holistic look at all those issues Um, and and you know people accessing those care entitlements which are really important again some for some emotional support solar mind positive minds again um something i've accessed this year is telecare great peace of mind actually the little wristband um which is great support for carers if uh you're loved one might be at risk of falling or um or setting it off all the time but telecare is a good good resource to use um again occupational therapy uh, that'd be through adult social care the city council but again great to do a uh, those assessments in the home and put those uh, adaptations in the house home if possible Again, you know, well, as we all know, as, as people and, and people in stressful situations, some of the things that, you know, are available to people is, you know, the getting out, doing some exercise, walking. You know, a lot of the faith, um, Facebook groups, uh, Stand Up is a parent carer uh, support group who are running the city and they've got a really active Facebook page um, where they lot provide a lot of peer support um, and information. Once again, you know, people getting out and about and, you know, and for many carers, they can't actually go out or leave the house. So even if it's listening to a podcast, reading um, or, or, you know, having that time or a couple of moments in the garden. But yeah, so, you know, please do look at our Hive um, website and our directory of services. We also have an events page, which is just about to launch, which has um, organisations promoting quite a few of their um, activities and hopefully, as we ease out of lockdown, we can do a bit more face to face because I think that's what people are after. But if you've got any questions, or please come back to me, and I'll share the slides with them, um, Sarah, and then we can, um, you know, get you get you, know, you that information to you. I think that's it from me. I'll stop sharing. Thank you very much. Lovely.
0: Yeah. Thank you. That's that was really um, was really in depth. Um, and a great bit of signposting there. Uh, so I'm just gonna open up the chat and see what kind of questions we might have in here. And I can see that um, Susan from the Isle of Wight, school nurse uh, was asking about the young carers survey. And I think I believe that's been answered in the chat um, to say that the report was shared with Hampshire Children's Health and Care Services too. But um, Carolyn, this was a question Caroline, sorry, this was a question directed to you. I wonder, is there anything more that you wanted to say about that?
5: I was too busy looking at the chat and we are totally concentrating. (laughs) was that?
0: That, That's okay.
5: Um, I was just mentioning the
0: the question that you answered here um, from Susan about the outcome of the survey for young carers. And I I know you've answered it here, but I just wondered if there was anything extra that you wanted to say um, and for the for the recording. I think that was me rather than Caroline. (laughs) Oh, apologies. I'm (laughs) trying to make sense of the chat from from my tablet. So we've been having major IT issues. (laughs) I took it
3: because
1: I mentioned that we surveyed young carers as part of our work. So I took it that that was for me. Um, And it was just to say that all the responses from the young carers are included in our Final report, and that report was shared with Hampshire Council's adult and children's um, health and care services teams, and they both responded actually to it. Which all the responses are on our, our website as well. Um, but yeah, we included all the views from the young carers in that report as well.
7: Oh hi, um, Claudine. So, so, thank you for answering that. It's Susan Gale. I'm I'm one of the school nurses on the Isle of Wight. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't really where you shared it. It was actually the result. I was just. I was just staggered as, that you actually got responses during COVID, a, a survey response, and sort of high five to you to actually, because as a school nurse, I, I do come across young carers quite a lot, and at the moment on the Isle of Wight, there's nothing, so to actually have a survey and actually get res. Resp- responses is incredible but I just wanted to check to clarify with you that I only got four of the things that that the young carers said on that on the things rather than having to go back on I know it's recorded and everything and you can get sent things but invariably I don't pick it up because I only work three days a week so one of the things that from 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 what I heard the young carers were saying that was problems engaging with schoolwork digital tool exhaustion increasing young carers responsibility and then i then it sort of went off was there were there i've put online carers forum i've, I've just scribbled there so it doesn't make sense my notes so was that what was the other result from the young carers can you just go back over that again sorry yeah,
1: i think the other one from that was um it changes in their family so they were well, they were not able to go out and see their friends so they couldn't get a break from their own caring. Um, but also they were witnessing, so if they were a sibling in a family with you know, perhaps a disabled sibling, they were seeing the stress that was putting on their parents of trying to cope with everything. And perhaps, if particularly if their parents were facing financial problems as well, not unable to work. And with both of them not at school, it, it, they were witnessing a lot of stress at home. I think that was the other one. Um, as well So as their... oh, there was
7: five. There's five then. Yeah. The young carers
1: from the from your young carers. There's five. Okay. And in t- in terms of the survey, what we did with the young carers, we approached. There's a Hampshire Young Carers Association, so we approached them to talk to young carers for us, and we created a slightly different approach with questions designed specifically for the young people. And it was through those groups who were doing zooms and things with the young carers that we got those views back.
7: So, it wasn't a simple little question and answer thing that they filled in as choices. It was just sort of an overall thing that you you gathered from information from zooms, yeah, so was it was were any of the Isle of Wights um young carers asked just out of interest?
1: I think that might be one I know Charlotte's got a hand up that might be one for Health Watch Portsmouth because I know they they they've done a survey as well. And they might have had more from that area. I'm guessing. I don't know. I don't know because
7: I I don't even know if the Young Carers Association is actually functioning on the Isle of Wight anymore.
0: Okay. Well,
7: seriously, because no. the finances stopped, and they, they they withdrew. The council just stopped it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. So we've got nothing. We've got very little. All those it, all those things that you said in Portsmouth, none of that happens on the Isle of Wight. <laughs> her
6: so, um yeah i might be
0: able to help sorry yeah. uh, apologies i was just saying it sounds like there's a big gap there on the isle of Wight.
6: sorry yeah claudine. so we did um basically an identical survey to claudine she kind of helped develop it all and we just nicked it really um but we wanted to look at portsmouth as a whole. um that did go out to the isle of wight as well so um we had very very similar responses Um, the biggest one for us was again respites being stopped people the bubbles weren't clearly defined so um you'd normally have your mum come over to give you a break from your caring but then they didn't want to get the person they're caring for vulnerable to other people coming in the house and it just kind of spiraled Um, so we have been we produce recommendations as well again looking at the gps trying to get GPs to identify carers because if you're caring for someone and you've been put in hospital that person is now on their own um, we did contact young carers um, mainly in Portsmouth and the Isle of Wight, we were quite strict we had to go on from PO2 to PO6 and any so we, when we did the survey we asked people for the first line of their postcode and their demographics so their age so we did get a lot of young people um, but mainly just Portsmouth not the Isle of Wight.
7: No um, did
6: you get any from the Isle of Wight was it? No. no that's what I suspected actually. Yeah but which we is are. Be- it's
7: because the Isle of Wight hasn't got a functioning young carers group for you to take
6: to go to yeah so it's a real
7: big need now really I'm genuinely you know people are on their knees like you're saying it's absolutely
6: and they are still a part of Hampshire and we we do need to connect so um I'm meeting with Portsmouth Parish Centre on Wednesday and we are teaming up with Alzheimer's UK because they've recently done a report and we've got similar (laughs) um recommendations but that is a definitely a big one I want to kind of ask. start with the young people first please yes absolutely Um, I don't want to be I don't want to prioritize but really everyone
7: is now Because I did, I was redeployed, so I do understand how desperate it is for for the older generation. But the young generation, my gut feeling Mm. is now it was similar to when during the second after the Second World War, how emotionally and how young people have been treated. It's 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 like when they were sent away to the country to avoid the bombing. It's the same thing during COVID experience, and so the young carers are really 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 you know absolutely and
6: I think the stuff you go through as child it definitely impacts your adult life and if you've got all this extra Uh, yeah yeah. so unless we get
7: that back in we can't
6: yeah and there's going to be consequences so what I'll do I'll have a chat with carer centre in Portsmouth on Wednesday I'll bring that up and we'll try and do some investigating of what's happened on the Isle of Wight and how we can can I just interject um, my team lead for the school nurse
7: team is someone called Alison Price on the Isle of Wight if yeah. you can because I'm I'm only a, a band five and I just happen to have the opportunity to do this training so thank you all for doing it but if you can direct anything about young carers specifically to to the, yeah. my team lead that would be wonderful Susan so, if you
6: can just pop the um contact in like email address and whatnot in the chat then I can make so that. if I put mine and then yeah yeah and we go through that way
1: yeah there is um there is a health watch isle of wight as well so i'll yeah make sure the colleagues there are aware of that issue as well in case there's anything they can follow up oh right okay thank you ladies
7: (laughs) (laughs) i'm feeling a lot better now it's the first time i've done this kind of thing it's i've had a chance to come into the office so thank and you. i think
6: with the health we all work together as much yeah. as we can um and if we in portsmouth can't do something hampshire could potentially pick it up or isla white so yeah. because we've got them connections we can speak to the colleagues and just try and get but we'll keep you updated and let you know how we get on thank yeah. you
0: that's fantastic thank you for that um for that conversation and thank you charlotte for, for um, bringing that information into the into the group today um, is there anything else that anyone wants to bring to the session today? Any questions for our speakers? Um, or anything else that to, to, to kind of bring into the session? You can always put that in the chat or feel free to put your hand up if you'd rather speak. Okay, um, yep, I can see yeah, Valerie. Um, you're on mute still at the moment. There we go. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Um,
4: as uh, Chairman of Parkinson's UK in uh, and District, um, we have struggled to stay in contact with all um, our members and their family carers throughout the um, pandemic. So we've got a fairly <laughs> clear picture, I think, of what's actually happened, sorry. The dog's wanting to join in now. Um, uh, and I think that one of the huge issues that we, we have had is with the rapid deterioration of a lot of our people because they haven't been um, medically um, and professionally monitored as often as they would be outside the pandemic, um, with the results that the carers um, are almost running to catch up. And in lots of cases, finding it very difficult to do so. Um, And so we have been aware of the fact that we've had to um, support our carers uh, by letting them talk um, through the situations they're in by phone. Um, And I think the other huge problem that we have had and we worry about hugely is phone consultations for our members who find... um, um, it very, very difficult to communicate anyway, a lot of them, and that again has deteriorated over the year. And the, um, what's worrying us slightly is the uh, gentle suggestion that's coming through from the professionals that a lot of these consultations will stay on phone or online. We have a lot of people who aren't online And those um, who naturally have phones actually find them very difficult to use. And so, one of the things that our carers are worrying about is what's going to happen when we come out of all this and whether they are, you know, um, normal service is going to be resumed or whether they are still going to be struggling with trying to explain what's happening with the deterioration by phone without the professional actually seeing the patient. There's actually been um, a direction that's come out, I think it was on Friday,
1: that all GPs now have to offer face-to-face wherever possible. Um, It's something that we're going to, as Healthwatch, we're going to be keeping an eye on because access to care is, and going forward coming out of the pandemic is a big issue and it's something actually all the Healthwatches across the South are going to be working together on as a project. It might
4: be helpful to Healthwatch to realise that... um, most Parkinson's patients hardly see their GPs. Their really? GPs have very little input in their care <gasps> for historic reasons. We have Parkinson's d- disease nurse specialists right. and the consultants, and it, um, they are the ones who are looking at the moment to hang on to the telephone. Oh,
0: Okay. So, so just to mention that part of our, our project that we will be, that we're, that we're launching um, for Solent Connections uh, will have the availability for several sessions, one-to-one. Um, they're not uh, in person, but they are face-to-face over Zoom. Yeah. Um, so, so we are able to, to offer some level of... Um, of but of, I, I do
4: repeat what I've just said about people not having access Um, When we met face-to-face every month, on the first Monday of the month, we could expect 80 to 100 people at our coffee morning. We have been holding fortnightly Zoom meetings, and um, if we get 20, we've done well. Mm -hmm. So there's an awful lot of people out there, you know, who are less supported and who we are beginning to worry about.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm getting a few things coming through to me um, in the in the the private chat here. Um, Somebody's Charlotte's posted um, a guidance page. I wonder, Charlotte, if you could just redirect that to the to everybody um, because I think that's just come through just to me. Oh,
6: really? um, No, that's all right. Um, Thank you. Guidance, uh, so step three, where the restrictions are based today, and there's a. There's specifically about GPs, Um, on there is a letter that we've received um, and it talks solely about half of all generic practice appointments during the pandemic have been delivered in person, GPs must all ensure they are offering face-to-face appointments and it goes on. So if you want to hear any more about that, this is what we've received to be able to share um, which might help Valerie. Thank you. But we still have this problem of very little input from
4: GPs. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes yeah yeah there's certainly cracks appearing um and, and you know there was cracks in our service before the pandemic yeah. and it's, yeah. it is it, it's certainly um made they've them got bigger. wider <laughs> they've got wider yeah. um so and and really that's that's uh our main um our main kind of reasons for bringing in this event today. And we welcome you, you all to have to have come here today with us and to share this and, and to be able to talk about some of these problems and highlight this within our community. And, and we feel like that is a, is really, really important. Um, so I'd like to um, to just kind of thank everyone that's here tonight and everyone that shared and brought something to the event and in particular our speakers um Caroline who brought a very touching personal story and uh, Claudine as well who who um, raised some some um, recordings of some some personal stories and both who shared some wonderful signposting and um Charlotte as well who's who's introduced a few things to us tonight at the end here Thank you so much everyone um I'll, the only other thing to just say is that if um anyone, is interested in our project the silent connections and you're you want to know more information please just let us know in any way that's easier easiest for you that can be by email by phone by via the facebook um, messenger um, our details are all on slide three if you're rec- if you're watching the recording and we'll also post it Um, in the title of the recording as well. So thanks again for everyone who's been involved. Carolyn Barber, who actually wrote my my speech tonight, um, today, and and organized this event, um, who has been lurking in the background doing slides because she's had a a bit of a sore throat today. But thank you so much, Carolyn, for putting all this together. It's been wonderful. Um, And everyone for being here and joining us today. Thank you. So I'm gonna end the meeting.